If you have a copy of God's Word, please join me in Daniel chapter 6, the book of Daniel in the 6th chapter. If, if you don't happen to have a Bible with you, there should be one in the pews if you want to follow along. It's a little bit different translation than what I have, but you'll get the gist of what's happening. The title of today's message is Living Faithfully in a Foreign Land. As we've walked through and talked about some of these heroes of the faith the last five weeks or so, uh, you've probably seen that God, has, God chooses to use people who are maybe not necessarily the kind of people that we would expect. He uses flawed, regular people like you and I. And even in their best moments, they're only a hero because they're trusting in God, because their focus and their hope has been set in God alone. We've looked at people who have uh, walked through difficulties, people who have faced opposition, the man that we're going to look at today is one that is familiar to most of us. In fact, the story we're going to look at is probably got to be one of the, the top three most popular children's Sunday school Bible stories, Daniel in the Lion's Den. It's one that many of us grew up loving and, and enjoy reading again and again. Daniel's not the only individual in this series that we're looking at who has been someone who's been in a foreign land. Joseph, Esther, Ruth. Uh, it wasn't my intention to, to pick that as a theme, but as, as we see some of these men and women uh, throughout the Old Testament, that is one of the common themes really of God's people, is that God has called us in the midst of, of a place that is not home for us. Uh, Paul told the Philippian Christians that, that our citizenship is in heaven, that this world is not our home. Some of us feel more acutely aware of that at some times than others. And as, as we walk through this story of Daniel, we'll see how uh, poignant and how, how fitting his example is for us living today in the 21st century. So if you found your place in Daniel chapter 6, we'll start by reading the first three verses. It says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them, three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So we meet this man, Daniel. The chapter does not uh, take any time to introduce him to us because uh, the, the beginning of the book did that. If you, if you were to peruse chapter 1, we discover that Daniel and some of his friends were taken from their homeland when Babylon invaded uh, Judah and, uh, and overtook them. And, and, and a lot of the Babylonians brought back uh, young men and women who they, they deemed as gifted as, or, or potentially useful for service in their kingdom. And they discovered that, that Daniel and his three friends, we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their Hebrew names were uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They, they really set themselves above some of the others that were brought back into the land. And so God used them, and you can read about them in the first few chapters of Daniel, as God begins to let them have influence in the land through their, their faith and their, their, their stance. By the time we get to chapter 6, Daniel has spent his entire life, his entire adult life, in captivity. He was probably taken by the Babylonians in his late teens or maybe early 20s. By now, 60 plus years has gone by 
And Daniel is likely uh, in his early 80s at this point. Daniel is an old man and has been faithful. He, he, he set himself up and was discovered as a, as a faithful believer uh, when the Babylonians ruled. And then if you remember, we talked about last week, the, the Medes and the Persians came over and took over the Babylonians. And, and even then, Daniel was allowed to stay in a position of authority. And so now that's where we find that the Medes and the Persians ruling. Um, and this king, Darius, whom many scholars believe that was a title. They think that uh, it was King Xerxes and, and the, the title Darius was maybe like uh, the, the title Pharaoh or something like that. It was a general term for the, the king. Darius decided to set up his government in such a way, so he put 120 satraps over the land. They would have been like governors or local mayors over different regions. And then over those 120, he put three men who were going to be, over, be their overseers, and Daniel was one of those three. Well, verse 3 tells us that Daniel even rose to the top of those three, and so that the king was ready to place him over the whole kingdom. He was so faithful, he was such a good administrator and such a, such a man of integrity that the king was ready to kind of turn all the administrative stuff over to Daniel. As you can imagine, uh, the, other, the other men, the other two men, and probably some of the other satraps, were not really keen on Daniel's position of authority. And uh, if you're filling out blanks in your note. I'm sorry, in the handouts, uh, we're meeting here in this, at the beginning of these verses, a faithful man. Even though he had been displaced, taken away from his homeland, and was in a foreign land, he had been faithful to his God and faithful in service, even, even in a place that was hostile to his faith. And God allowed him to raise, rise up to a position of authority. So in verse 4, though, we find that he meets some opposition it says, then the high officials and the satraps sought to find ground, a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Wow, what a testimony. Daniel's life was lived in such a way that, that as they looked at him, there were, there were no skeletons in his closet. They wanted, I mean, it's just like modern day politics and how things, the gloves come off and get ugly. Uh, they, they wanted to dig up the dirt. They wanted to get something on him and try as they may. They, they couldn't find anything. They had no ground for bringing an accusation against him. And they were frustrated. Look carefully at what verse 5 says. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. <laughs> you hear what they're saying? This man was such a man of integrity, they said, the only way we're going to nail this guy is if we trap him and, and, and make his faith illegal. Because all he does is live according to God's law. So the only way we're going to nail him is if we make some part of God's law illegal. Because that's what he does all the time. He just does what is right. So we've got to make what is right wrong to bust him. <laughs> and that's what they did. They laid a trap. They were jealous. They wanted to see this man toppled. And so the only way they were going to catch him was to catch him being faithful to God. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome if that's what could be said about us? If we lived such lives of integrity 
that people could look them over and say, wow, this is, this is a person. This is a man. This is a woman who loves their God, who, who, who desires to live a holy life. Daniel wasn't perfect. He wasn't sinless. There's not one of us here that can live a sinless life. But God does call us to live with integrity in the midst of a world that is hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter told the Christians in 1 Peter 4, 13 and following, Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if any of you suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. My brothers and sisters, let it be said of us that we're the kind of people that, that we're not going to suffer because, like Peter says here, we're, we're doing stupid things. We're, you know, he says, don't suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or as a meddler. Don't, don't get in trouble because you're, you're, you're being a criminal, because you're being unruly. But get in trouble because you're being faithful. Get in trouble because people look at your life and, and they say, man, this, this person is a person of integrity. And if, and if they're going to be able to bring any charges against you, let it be that you are following too closely to God and His Word. You see, as I said at the beginning, we're, we're not normal. You've probably, uh, some of us less so than others, but we're not, we're outcasts. We stick out. Uh, Peter, in another place, told the Christians there, he called them sojourners and exiles. Or another translation says aliens and strangers. You ever feel like because of your Christian faith, you just don't fit in? You've chosen to use your Sunday mornings to attend church. You maybe carve out, hopefully, some other time throughout the week to use your gifts and talents to get involved in a small group. You might have to turn down a, a request to, to, for a get-together because you have Route 28 on Sunday night or a Bible study. The things that we choose to do as followers of Jesus Christ to be obedient to him, are plain weird in the world's eyes. The values that we adopt, the, the things that we use our time. I mean, just think about the, 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 oh, the whole idea of tithing and, and giving some of your resources to the church. I mean, your friends could tell you, there's, there's all kinds of better things you could do with your money. Why would, you, why would you take it and give it to God? He's, it's not like he's standing at the door saying, thank you, appreciate that, thank you. Think about the way you use your time. Think about, think about the, the types of behaviors that you adopt or the, the, the things that you choose not to do because you know that they're, they're sin. We stand out. And, and I, I want to speak specifically to young people right now. If you're in school, teens, going to college, listen, you are, you are in an environment that is like Daniel faced, hostile. Daniel, in this story, we don't know what happened to his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but it's very possible they've, they've passed away at this point. Daniel's, a, Daniel's uh, lived past a normal age expectation in that, that time and age. And, and he, according to the story, he didn't have anybody standing with him. 
It's always easier to stand for what's right when you've got other people around you cheering you on and patting you on the back saying, that's the right thing to do. I'm praying for you, brother. Praying for you, sister. Way to go. But there are times in your Christian life where you've got to stand alone. When you may be the only one at your lunch table who decides to pray before they eat lunch. When you might be the only person when you walk into a classroom who sets a Bible on their desk. When you might be the only person when a group of your friends are around the locker and they're talking about, about what they did on the weekend and, 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 and how they hooked up with this or that person. And, 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 and they ask you, well, what did you, what did you and your girlfriend do? And you're forced to say, we went to youth group together Sunday night. And you feel a little bit weird. And they snicker and they mock you a little bit. God has called us as believers, whether you're a teenager or whether you're Daniel's age or you're somewhere in between, to be faithful in a hostile world, in a world that that is increasingly antagonistic to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Young people, when you take a stand for purity, when you take a stand for morality, I guarantee you that obedience to God will at times mean getting picked on, will at times mean being the butt of a joke, but it will be worth it. To be faithful to God, to be rewarded by God and not look to your peers for their approval as your reward, but to God and His approval, It will be worth it. You may struggle to see the value now, but God will one day welcome you into his kingdom and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. A time when you had the chance to compromise, a time you had the chance to run with the crowd and just go with the flow, and you chose to take a stand for what was right, I promise you God will honor that. And so we see a faithful man who in the midst of of an environment that wanted nothing to do with the God of the Bible stood firm. We also see an evil plot. We see an evil plot. Some of you have read this story. You know what's coming. They're mad at him. They're jealous. And so his co-ministers decide to come up with a plan. Verse 6 tells us these high officials and the satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition or or prays to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. See what's happening here? The the men knew that Daniel was a man of prayer. And so they said, this is where we're going to nail him. Let's talk Darius into making a law. Let's talk him into making a law that says, he's the only one we can pray to for 30 days. And we'll get Daniel. Again, that just speaks to Daniel's faithfulness. They were so confident that he was going to stay faithful and that he wasn't going to bend that they knew they had him. They knew he wouldn't change his routine. They knew they had him. I, I don't know about you, as I was reading this, this just sounds like, it, it, it just, I don't know how that it didn't come across to the king as a trick. Like, 
he must have been that vain and that much self-absorbed, or maybe it was a busy day at the office and he was already signing a bunch of bills and they just slid this one in front of him and he kept on signing. I, I don't, it just, it just smacks of being a trick. Like they're here like, uh, we don't have anything to hide. We want everybody to pray to you for 30 days. Now quick sign this and make it a law. The other night, Jaden, I'm going to pick on you a minute. The other night, Jaden and I were getting ready to watch a movie and, uh, Jaden likes to play practical jokes on our whole family. He's, he's like uh, a mastermind at coming up with ways to play practical jokes. And, and anybody, there's, there's nobody who gets to escape from his practical jokes. And we were getting ready to sit down and watch the movie, and he said, Dad, I, I poured you a glass of water. Now, the, the bells should have went off. I, I, my 10-year-old boy is a wonderful boy, but he never pours me a glass of water. And uh, I said, thanks, buddy. And I was finishing up something else, and... Uh, and he, we were getting ready to sit down. He said, Dad, don't forget your water. And that should have been the second warning bell. <laughs> He's drawing too much attention to this thing. But I said, thanks, bud. And so I walked over to the table, and there were two glasses of water sitting there. And I went to pick up the one. He had taped rubber bands on the bo- a rubber band on the bottom of it, on the, connecting the two glasses. So when I lifted up the one, the other one would dump out. And uh, it was pretty clever, pretty clever. Um, this, this, I thought of that this week when I'm reading here, these guys, it just, it just smacks of like, no, king, we're not trying to trick you here. Just quick sign this law into place and make it happen. And as we discovered last week with Esther, once this law is signed, it can't, can't, be, uh, can't be revoked. It's a done deal. That's how the Medes and the Persians worked. It was, when it was signed, it was, it was the law. And, and just a little historical background, uh, it was not all that unusual for the king, especially a new king who was just starting his reign, to maybe issue an edict like this, that people were supposed to pray to him as a way of, of commanding allegiance. The, the Medes and the Persians didn't look at, at their kings as, as a god like, like the Egyptians did, but uh, this still would not have been all that unusual to ask them to invoke his name in their prayers. And that's what they got him to do. And so he signed this law. They appealed to his vanity. And they got him on board. And so then thirdly, we see an important decision. Daniel's at a crossroads here. He has the chance to cower back. He knows it's been made a law. He knows that this is what's been declared. And he has a chance now to go into hiding or to remain steadfast. Look at verse 10. It says, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, so it, it didn't, they didn't pull the wool over his eyes or slide this in without his notice. He knew exactly what had happened. He went to his house where he had windows in the upper chamber tw- looking open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. And they came near and said to the king concerning the injunction, injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to a god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, If the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. It was Daniel's habit to go and open the windows toward Jerusalem and three times a day pray. Now that was, that was not commanded. The Jews were not required to do that. 
But he longed for his homeland. He longed for the temple. He wanted to be there to worship with his people in their land, in the temple of God. And so it was his custom to get on his knees, looking out in the distance to the direction of Jerusalem and to pray. And he had a choice to make. Because as I'm reading this, I think, well, Daniel, you could have just hidden in your closet and and still prayed in your head. Nobody would have known. I mean, you could still talk to God, right? It doesn't have to be out loud. doesn't have to be. Here's the thing. Daniel had this habit. He had this custom that he did every day. And he knew to all of a sudden stop that day would be to be bowing to their demands. Would be to caving in, would be caving in to what the world was asking him to do. And so he made a commitment. He wanted to remain faithful to his God in this foreign land. And so he was going to continue to do what he had always done. He chose to be faithful. So if, it, if you're reading this and you think, Daniel, aren't you just being stubborn? He's not. Because he knew that if he retreated to his closet, he was giving them the victory. He would be cowering in fear. How easy it would have been to just pray silently with his head on the bed at night. Yet he took his stand and continued to do what he'd always done. His decision to do so was not a random one. It was born out of his obedient trust and abiding relationship with God. You see, Daniel had already made a decision that no matter what, he was going to follow God. Some of us uh, ride the fence, and then we feel like when we're in the midst of it, that's when we can make our, our commitment. If that's the case, usually what we do is cower out and, and wimp out in those moments. You need to make a decision even before you're thrown into the crucible that you're going to be faithful no matter what. What if an edict was signed like this tomorrow in our land? What if the persecution in our country all of a sudden intensified to the point where it was illegal to meet on Sunday mornings or you couldn't own a copy of God's Word? The decision to be faithful needs to be made even before the heat gets turned up. And that's what Daniel had done. And so now he knows that the penalty is to be cast into the lion's den. But one of the things that these other men, his adversaries, had not counted on was that Daniel served a great God. They knew that he was faithful to his religion. They knew that he was faithful to his beliefs. But they didn't believe in the God that he believed in. What they didn't realize is that Daniel prayed to the one true God. So the king was very distressed. The king liked Daniel. He didn't have any problem with Daniel. And he realized he'd been tricked. And so verse 14 says, The king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and sent his mind to deliver Daniel and labor till the sun went down to rescue him. And these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, You know that the law can't be changed. (laughs) And so the, the, the king's frantic. He wants to save Daniel. He spends all the rest of the day trying to rescue Daniel so that Daniel doesn't have to get thrown into the lion's den that night. All, all day he's working frantically. Notice Daniel's not freaking out. Daniel seems to be calm, cool, and collected through all this. But the king is doing whatever he can to free him, but he realizes he's bound by the law. So verse 16 says, The king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Uh, Having a den of lions was not uh, uncommon among their kingdom in those days. Uh, It would have been an underground pit. 
with a covering, an opening that you could slide a stone over to cover up. These lions were kept hungry and mean and, uh, and, and nasty. And uh, the, the, Medes were, the Medes and the Persians were especially known for coming up with cruel ways to kill people and to torture people. And one of their favorites apparently was having a, a pit filled with lions to devour someone who was being punished. And so Daniel was thrown down there. Uh, verse 17 tells us that the, the, the stone was rolled over. It was sealed. Um, the, the king would have had a, a, probably a, an insignia, and, and a, it would have been a, a clay seal. The other, it says the others um, also, the other uh, ministers, put their seal on it. So it would be evident and obvious if, if someone had tried to move it. It was, it was stuck in place, and only, only after the punishment was inflicted could that stone be moved. The king wished for Daniel to be okay. It says in verse 18 that the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. He was so distressed for his friend Daniel that he couldn't sleep all night. He prayed and fasted. Whether he was praying to Daniel's God or his own false gods, it doesn't say. But Daniel trusted in his Lord. He knew that his God was able to deliver him if he so choose. Just like we looked at Esther's life last week. If I perish, I perish. She chose to remain faithful. And that's what Daniel did here. Verse 19 says, At the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. He came near to the den where Daniel was and cried out in a tone of anguish, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to deliver you from the lions? The, the tone there in, in the Hebrew indicates that there's doubt in the king's voice. Has God been able to deliver you? Like, I'm just kind of expecting to hear lions licking their lips and the, the crunching of bones. I'm I, I, not expecting to hear you say you're okay. Then he heard what he didn't expect. A voice Verse 21 that says, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before all you, king. I have done no harm. God saved him. God protected him by sending an angel that shut the mouths of lions. It's just a reminder that even in our darkest moments that God's presence is with us. God's angel came and was there while, while Daniel sweated it out. It doesn't even indicate that he was breaking a sweat really, but God's presence goes with us no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're facing. God promises he'll never leave us or forsake us. And, and Daniel experienced that firsthand. And he experienced this miraculous deliverance. Daniel trusted God. Um, verse 23 tells us uh, that the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. It can be so difficult when our circumstances around us look totally hopeless. I mean, you tell me, what's more hopeless than that? He's got nobody there to rescue him. 
Nobody standing there, sneaking in there in the middle of the night, dropping down a, a rope. Nothing. That is the end of your life. If ever there was a hopeless situation, Daniel was in the middle of it, and he still trusted God. I want to tell you right now that no matter how hopeless your situation looks, maybe it's a relationship that you just think can't be remedied or recovered. Maybe it's a habit that you just think that you're in bondage to and you can't, you can't overcome. Maybe it's a, it's a sin or, 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 or some other, other thing that you've just struggled with over and over and over with. And you just feel like this is impossible. My situation is hopeless. There's, there's, there's no light at the end of this tunnel. I want to tell you right now that you have a God you can trust in the middle of that, that trial, that darkness, that hopeless situation. And our God is able to deliver. Our God is able to rescue. And he did so with Daniel. Verse 24 says, The king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They their children, and their wives. And before they had reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. <laughs> this was not uncommon in, in the culture in that day and age if there was someone who committed a treasonous act or, or some defiance to the king. Not only was he punished, but his whole family was dealt with to make a, make a lesson out of them. And so all these men and their families were all brought down and and you learn something about the lions. You know, there's been like some liberal commentators that say, well, Daniel survived because there was just like one or two lions and they were super old. Their teeth had fallen out and all they were do, doing was, you know, gumming jello. And, and so that, that's, that, that's, Daniel was fine just because that these lions were, were, well, according to this passage, the, the lions were not only hungry enough, but numerous enough to devour and kill all the people thrown in there even before they'd hit the ground. <laughs> this was a miraculous intervention of God. These lions were starving, and they, 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 they were very interested in, in having Daniel for dinner, but they had to wait for breakfast the following morning. And so the king makes a declaration at the end of the chapter. Much like Nebuchadnezzar had to do back in Daniel chapter 4 when God humbled him, Darius learned that the God of heaven is the one true God. He says in uh, verse uh, 26, he says, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall, there shall, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. See, Darius recognized, even in his, the little bit of theology he knew, that God was the one true God. And it makes me wonder then, if this miracle of saving Daniel and protecting him from the lion's den was not first and foremost for Daniel, but if it was for the sake of God's name. So that this pagan king and these unbelieving people would know that he was God and God alone. So as we close, we have to ask, does, does Daniel 6 really give us a realistic picture on persecution and suffering? Isn't it true that for every Daniel whom God delivers from the lion's den, 
There have been hundreds of nameless martyrs whom God did not deliver. Uh, Haven't God's faithful ones suffered terribly over the centuries? Sometimes at the mouths of lions, others being burned alive or sat before a firing squad. Aren't believers still suffering terribly around the world today? What about the 12,000 plus Christians who've been killed in Nigeria over the last several years by Boko Haram? Or or what about Pastor Saeed sitting in an Iranian prison for the last three years? Or, Or what about believers being driven from their homes even in places like Mexico or India? Where's God in these situations? Were, were these believers less faithful to God or less important than Daniel was? You see, to answer these questions, we need to see that Daniel 6 provides something more than how God deals with suffering believers. Or how we should stand firm in those, uh, under trials. Uh, those things are true. But Daniel 6 is a foreshadowing It's a reminder that one day a verdict will be delivered on all at Judgment Day. You see, sometimes, like like here in Daniel 6, we get to see justice exacted immediately. Those who tried to end Daniel's life, they were dealt with right away, and, and, and justice was swift. But for others who persecute Christians, who who hound the church day after day. We may not see justice done, but God promises. He says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I I will repay. And one day at the great white throne judgment, justice will be done for all those who've not repented, not turned to Christ in faith. They'll be cast in the lake of fire, the Bible says. But for those who have endured, who have been faithful, who maybe didn't see deliverance here on earth and who are martyred for their faith, who are persecuted for their faith, God promises rich reward. Encourage you to hang on, to run your race well, to be faithful. But we also see something else emerge out of this chapter. And that is that like Daniel, there's another man who was falsely accused by his enemies, who was brought before a ruler, Pontius Pilate, who sought unsuccessfully to deliver him from his fate. This man was handed over, like Daniel, to be subjected to a violent death. Like Daniel, this man was condemned to die unjustly. His body was placed in a sealed pit so that his situation could not be changed by human intervention. But this man, Jesus... His trial went even deeper than Daniel. As one commentator says, he did not merely suffer the threat of death. He went down into death himself. Although Jesus was innocent, he suffered the fate of the guilty ones. There was no angel to comfort him with the presence of God in his pit. On the contrary, he felt alone and cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But the good news is is that Jesus emerged alive from his tomb at daybreak on that first Easter Sunday. He brought with him God's stamp of acquittal not only on himself, but on all those who were joined to him in faith. When Daniel came forth from the lion's den, he came out alone. No one else was saved by God's deliverance of Daniel. 
But when Jesus came forth from the tomb, he came out as the head of a mighty company of people who have been redeemed from the pit through death. And so this story then becomes a picture of God's desire to rescue his people, of God's ultimate deliverance that's far more significant than being snatched from a den of lions. God has provided salvation so we can be snatched from eternal death, eternal separation from Him, and experience eternal life. God's victory comes through Jesus Christ. And it's available to all those who trust in Him as their Lord and Savior. So this morning we're reminded of this man, Daniel, who remained faithful in a foreign land. And I don't know where God has called you right now. I don't know where he's placed you. Maybe it's the workplace. Maybe it's school. Maybe it's amidst hostile family members. Maybe it's just simply living in this culture that the headlines remind us day in and day out that, that, that the Christian faith is not becoming more and more popular with the people around us and the culture around us. It's becoming less so. And so God has called you like Daniel to be faithful in the midst of a hostile environment. And my encouragement is, you, is this morning that by God's grace, you can be faithful. You can run the race that he's called you to in the strength that he supplies. And so that one day he might say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for the truths of your word and we're reminded from the life of Daniel that when, when we choose to follow you, it's, it's not all, all easy. It's, it's not all smooth sailing. That being, being faithful to you may mean a lot of persecution. Taking a stand for what's right may mean ostracization from our friend, from, from, from being accepted as cool. It, it might be... It might mean being mocked and ridiculed. It might mean not getting invited to the next family reunion. God, I pray that the treasures of heaven would be worth far more to us than the treasures of this earth. That being accepted by our heavenly Father would be, would be far more valuable than being accepted by the people around us and making compromises. So God, help us to be faithful. And then we thank you. We thank you so much for Jesus Christ who, like Daniel, was faithful, like Daniel was falsely accused, who went to the cross and through his death accomplished our salvation and won the victory by overcoming death and rising again from the grave. And it's in his precious name we pray these things. Amen. God bless. You're dismissed.